0: So the title for today's sermon uh, is called The Bush is Still Burning. We'll be diving into Exodus chapter 3 together. Um, So if you remember anything from this sermon, here's what I want you to know. That in our ordinary and busy lives, God calls us aside, transforms everything by his presence So we can be reassured in who he is, who we are, and what we are called to do. So my hope is to help us understand this in three ways. And the first one is coming aside. The second one is transformed by his presence. And the third one is God's reassurance. I want to be clear that this is not a step-by-step sermon that says, here are the steps to a polished Christian life. Or do all these things and life will go well for you. Or follow these steps closely and your life will be completely changed. I just want to throw that out there for people who have been triggered by past church experiences that this is not one of those conversations. This framework that we will uncover today is not an easy invitation, but an invitation to take an honest and up-close look of ourselves, our lives, and God. God. So, here's that exhale again. Let's begin. So, we are in Chapter 3 of Exodus. It's a familiar story we all have heard. Whether we grew up hearing it in Sunday school, whether reading it to our kids at night, whether doing it during devotional time, it is a familiar territory for us all. We know how the story begins and how the story ends. We can all say, we know you, Moses. We got you all figured out. We know your calling, but I think the danger is, is, always when we go through familiar territory, we tend to overlook and miss and belittle what God has for us today in the story. So my prayer, my hope is that God will give you fresh eyes, that he would share something new with you today. And my desire is that God will mobilize you to live a righteous life towards holiness, So let's pray. You can bow your heads with me. Lord, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not for selfish gain. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we may behold the wondrous things of your law. Unite our hearts to fear your name so that we may be satisfied this morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Amen. So in the final verses of Exodus 2, God's answer to Israel's cry is beginning to unravel through a former Egyptian and Hebrew native named Moses. In the beginning, Exodus 2 to uh, 15 to 25, Moses in his own might makes himself a deliverer for the people of Israel, but rejected by the people, and ends up killing a man in defense of a Hebrew and eventually runs for his life to the land of Midian. He eventually runs into the daughter of a priest in Midian. He marries one of the daughters and he's starting to live his life. He was 40 years old when he ran from Egypt and stayed in Midian for another 40 years old. And he, his ministry has not yet begun. So we will hear the call of Moses at the ripe age of 80, 80 years old. That's when he began his ministry. But first, he was drawn aside by God. Let's read the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. It's on the screen here, if you can follow if you have your Bibles or not. But it says, one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing. Moses said to himself, why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him, from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. It says here in verse 1 that Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, this was a common occupation for people in Midian. So at this point in his life, it was so humble that he didn't even have a flock to call his own. They were his father-in-laws. And for 40 years, he did this. See, Moses didn't really have too much to show for his time while he had a wife, had a kid. This is the kind of guy whose life is just on cruise control. Most of you guys' lives are on cruise control. So he's not striving to be or to do anything. He's just living life, living life. So in Moses' ordinary life, he leads the flock to the far side of the desert, to the mountain of God. See, he walked this route numerous times. And at this point, he could just let go of the flock and they would know exactly where to go. Suddenly, in verse 2 and 4, it all changes for Moses. Moses is interrupted by a burning bush. And it wasn't just that Moses was interrupted by a burning bush. It was a common for bushes like this to ignite and fire in a hot desert. But this interruption was different from all of his interactions on the mountain. It caught his attention and drew him closer and closer to examine this strange sight. So, in Moses' oblivious action, the Lord unexpectedly appears and in initiates conversations with Moses. He calls out to him, Moses, Moses, God speaks. To Moses and calls him by name, Moses. Moses. This shows that even though Moses was now an obscure, forgotten sheep on the backside of the desert, God knew who he was. Moses was important to God. Moses now had the audience of the highest being ever. Moses replied with a here I am statement, I'm open. I'm ready to hear from you. I notice here how the Lord didn't speak to Moses until he got Moses' attention. He didn't say his name. So in the same manner to Moses' encounter, our invitation to come aside doesn't move our hearts to the way that it should be because we don't give it our attention and we don't expect God to speak in the ordinary. For The mirror reason is we become familiar with paths that we walk in. Week in and week out, our lives are consumed with noise and busyness. Going to work, going to church, changing diapers, caring for your kids, walking the dog, cleaning the house. You name it. There's so many things week in and week out. We do so much busyness we can do a lot of everyday activities and still miss God. Are they wrong? Are these things wrong? No. But if our work for God is not rooted from a life from God, it can become all about self, all about you. See, our busyness for God has made us tired and worn out. And with our tiredness, it has made our view of God Small. We beat ourselves up for lacking productivity and not getting things done. See, all of my ministry experiences was all of my value, all of my worth, all of my dignity was, was rooted in how much can I produce for God. To make Him happy, I had to do something for Him. And if I wasn't doing for God, I would fall into a dark hole of depression. And be the object of his wrath. Most of you guys are nodding your heads and you want to be busy for God. Friends, our faith in everyday life has become a checkbox kind of relationship rather than enjoying God in everything that we do. For an example, if I was to go out with my wife, tell her we're going on a date, she could dress, you know, and she, little does she know I have a clipboard in my back pocket and checking off everything that we're doing in the date. She ate. Okay, uh, she's walking really fast. She, she gave me a kiss. Oh, we're going to bed. Like, it would be a duty, right? But we do the same thing with God. We, we, we check off the list. We, we make it a duty rather than enjoying His presence, enjoying Him. See, outwardly, we demonstrate that we are good people. But inwardly, we have a hard time sharing our truest hearts. For an example, we come to church, the very first thing is we tell a lie as soon as we walk in. It says, people ask us, how are you doing today? I'm good. How many of you guys said that? But really internally, you're not doing well. It's okay not to be okay. But we tell a lie to other people and saying, you know what? I'm good. I don't got to tell you what's going on inside of me. So we have settled for contentment and fully convinced ourselves of what is familiar is the better way. But God, just like Moses, wants to meet you in places of monotony, the places that are familiar to you. See, in familiar paths, God is initiating conversation with us. With his prophetic voice he calls out to you and me in the wilderness, calling out to places that are monotonous, calling out to places where we least expect him. And he's saying to us, my son, my daughter, I miss you. I wanna talk with you. I know life sucks right now. I know life is very normal for you, but I do love talking with you. So we need to come aside. How often do you I need to be reminded that the bush is still burning, that we can still find God in the normality of life? We need him to open our eyes so that we may see, so we may have a birth of a curiosity for his presence. So my question to you today, if you look in your heart, as you look at your life, as you look at your relationship with God, in the ordinary and busyness that we all live, How might God be getting your attention to come aside? Think about that. How might he be getting your attention to come aside through all the things that you're doing in your life, all the busyness, the monotony? What is he trying to say to you? So the very moment that Moses, the very moment that the Lord captures Moses' attention, he calls him aside and begins to speak and reveal himself to Moses. So let's read verses 5 to 6. The Lord says, Do not come any closer, Moses. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the Lord of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, He covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. When we accept the invitation of coming aside, God reveals himself and changes everything by his presence. When we choose to make the step to come aside, God reveals himself to us. See, in Moses' obedient posture of Here I am, God. I'm open to you. God then sets the tone for his holiness. He warns Moses by saying, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. See, I imagine Moses already knew something about holiness. After all, his father-in-law, Jethro, was a priest, a man set apart for God's service. So when God told him he was standing on holy ground, Moses probably had some idea what God was talking about. Now, if God was to say that to you and I, if he were to say, Kenny, take off your shoes, Shaq, take off your shoes, it wouldn't make sense to us because we are not in that culture. We don't usually take off our shoes for respect. We just don't do it. Now, if we would go to someone's house who had new carpets, I mean, I grew up with new, like my mom always had new carpets or hardware floors. I may do that, but when it comes to taking off my shoes for respect, I just don't do it. See, in the ancient Near East, the poorest people could not afford shoes. So to have shoes was a sign of social significance. So to see someone without shoes was to see someone who was poor and humble. So we also need to notice that the first use of the word holy is in the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, we get the concept of holy time connected with Sabbath, but here we get the idea of holy space. See, Moses is recognized through this simple posture to remove his sandals. We also need to recognize that Moses is outside. He's not In a home, he's outside, he got sand all through his toes, rocks all through his feet. This was an act of humility. So God basically tells Moses put aside all your experiences in Egypt and Midian, all the places you have walked in your shoes, all that would have carried you to this place, all the things that Moses could have held on to, his credentials his certificates, his mantles, his fame, his position, had nothing to do with this encounter. God simply said, I want just Moses. So maybe that's what we need to do. See, Moses' experience and status could not make a difference. It was only God's holy presence that made him significant. So in coming aside, God may want you to show humility that doesn't have to deal with your shoes. So how do you come before the Lord? You sing, you pray, all that. How do you come before the Lord? You ever think about who you're talking to when you pray? You ever think about who you're singing to when you sing? It's easy to say, well, bless your name, but we leave here and we curse him the next day. It's easy to say Yahweh, but really it's my way. How do you come before the Lord? Think about that. How do you come before him? See, here's an example. If, I was, uh, if we were to secretly bring in Maverick City, or your favorite pastor, Francis Chan, John Piper, whoever it is. I guarantee it, 100%, we'll treat them differently, right? We'll approach them differently. We'll take pictures with them. We'll, we'll say Instagram post: Maverick City, kindergarten city today. It was cool. How is it that we're consciously aware of a celebrity, but we miss the presence of God? we miss the most important person in our lives. If conviction is resting with you right now, respond to that. A lot of Christians respond to, a lot of Christians hear conviction, and they just stop. They just say, oh, that was, that was convicting. And they don't do nothing about it. Nothing. So. The most important person has promised that he will be with us. He said in his word, when two or more are gathered together in my name, I will be there. And how many people are in this room? Tons. He's here. He's here. He's here. We made it so much about ourselves so much about you and i i will only come to that church if they have children ministry i will only come to the church if they sing the songs i like if the sermon is good i will go there we have made it about us we are consumers if church doesn't go well we go to another church we have made it about us We as Christians struggle with the concept of God's presence. It's the most important thing in our walk in faithful Jesus. My question to you is how many of you will leave here not even considering the thought of God's presence? Got a Steelers game? Got an Eagles game? Got to go grocery shopping? It's a lot of stuff, right? How many of you will leave her not even considering God's presence will follow you? I'm, I'm, I'm speaking today. It's not about me. Or are we gathering just for another checkbox Christian duty? I went to church Sunday. I feel good. See, many of us know the story of the Israelites later on wandering in the desert. The Israelites have become so familiar with the presence of God on the journey, they had no reverence for God, no reverence for Moses. And this is what God said to Moses in his own words How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long? They saw all the miracles. And God said, how long will these people treat me with contempt? So how long will you treat him with contempt? How long will I treat him with contempt? I'm not that close to God than you think. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm human, very human. But how long do, will we treat him with contempt? See, God is holy. He is not like you and I. He's greater, perfect. It says in Psalm one thirteen five 5 that who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits on throne on high, who is like him? If you can choose anyone to be like God, the answer is no one. No one is like him. No one is like our God. There are creatures as we speak right now in heaven worshiping God as we speak, singing over and over and over again, and they do it so perfectly. They do it without grumble. They do it without fatigue, and they joy him always and forever, and they're never tired of declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. They never get tired to do that. Every single time they do that. Just think about that. Right now as we're on heaven, in earth the heavens are praising the king holy is the lord he is altogether glorious unmatched in splendor unparalleled in power no one can compare to him in power see worship thrives on wonder we can admire and appreciate and perhaps even adore someone without a sense of wonder but we cannot worship without wonder for worship to be worship, it must contain something of the otherness of God. That is his holiness, his character, his being. See, in verse 6, God introduced himself. He didn't say who he was. He presented his holiness. He's now presenting himself. And I want you to know what how he introduces himself. He says, I am the God of your father, Moses the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. See, this wasn't the new God meeting Moses, but the same God that dealt with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, Moses needed to know exactly which God was speaking. He has been raised in a pagan court and would certainly have been familiar with, the, with many Egyptian gods. But this God, the true God, the only God, declares his name not just to signify his covenant with Israel, but to restore and remind Moses of his personal relationship to God as a Hebrew. See, here's a man, for all his life has been without a country, here's a man who does not have a strong national identity, he knew he was a Hebrew, but not lived among the Hebrews, nor did he share in their sufferings. At birth, he lived in Egypt and was raised an Egyptian, schooled as an Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian, but his connection to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was a best distant memory, but a reminder of his identity. God spoke to Moses from his heritage. So once Moses knew who he was encountering, he hid his face in reverence. In the remaining verses of Exodus three, God then goes to explain why he called Moses. He Gives him two fundamental reasons both explained in human-like experiences. The first one is that God seen, heard, and reacted with concern to the suffering of his people. And the second thing is that God intervenes and inserts himself into the human affairs of coming down to rescue and leading them out. It's interesting, when I was looking at this verse, the Lord tells Moses to look, he tells him to behold, To look intensely at what I'm about to do for my people. See, growing up, I always thought the Old Testament God was very mean. Jesus is kind of cool. But when I actually read the scriptures, it looks like God actually does care for his people. He comes down to rescue them. And leads them out to a place of salvation. Overwhelmed by the sheer size of the task that was given to Moses, he doubts his ability to perform it. But God reassures Moses in the call for his people. God tells him two things. I will be with you, Moses. And he tells him, I am who I am will be with you, Moses. When I read this with my own eyes, I struggle with that phrase, I will be with you. See, two weeks ago, I was up here preaching, very first service, (laughs) and I forget the second page, and I'm like, oh, crap. (laughs) But in that moment, I think God was trying to tell me, you made this all about you that um, I was performing for God, that I was seeking affirmation from you um, and depending on my own smartness and knowledge. And I just wanna to confess to the whole church that I'm sorry that I depended on you to make me feel good. So I just wanted to throw it out there that like two weeks ago that, I, that word, I will be with you, was foreign to me. So over the years, I realized that coming to the the greatest trap in our lives is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. I'm gonna say that again. Over the years, I have come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. See, maybe you're like Moses or like me. Maybe you're 50, 60, 40 years old and saying, you know what, I'll never be used by God. I'm nothing, my life is just on cruise control. Maybe you're single, maybe you've been hurt by the church. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. I'm, I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm nothing. I just, I just, focus on the kids, and I mean, I let my husband do everything, and uh, I just support him. Um, yeah, maybe you're like Moses, or maybe you're. You have murder on your conscience, things that have stained you from past generations. You know what, I, I've, done a, I've done a crime and God doesn't want to use a criminal. God doesn't want to use me. I, I, I've done some really hard stuff in my life and I don't want to be used by God. Or maybe failure, yeah, failure's a thing. Maybe that's you, like growing up you've been taught, you've been told that you're nothing. Maybe you, maybe it's, you're a failure because you know, the, the way you parent I'm not a good wife, I'm, I'm not a good father, I'm not a good son, I'm not a good child, I'm, I, I, I've screwed up. And God doesn't want to use a failure or maybe an inadequacy. I'm inadequate. I didn't go to school. He doesn't want to use a high school dropout. Or maybe shame. Oh, we bear shame. We hide it so well. Oh, we don't even need the mass. We already got a mass. We hide the shame so well. Or rejection. You've been rejected as a kid, been rejected as an an adult from your coworkers, or maybe your gender. Whatever it is. We're all like Moses. We know the things we say to ourselves in private. We know it. I don't know what you say. I know what I say. (laughs) Things aren't good. But we're all like Moses. We all have shame. We all have feelings of rejection. We all have feelings of past sin in our life that God doesn't want to use me. Or maybe it's, I'll just settle for monotony. That's just what I plan to do with my life. But I want to remind us that God's bush is still burning. That God still desires your attention and my attention. That God still wants to communicate with you on who he is, who we are, and what he has called us to do. So before I pray, just sit with that. It's a lot. We could easily go to our next thing and forget what I said, but sit with that this week. How might be God calling you aside? How do you come before the Lord? And God can still use you, regardless of what story you may be carrying today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we are not, our identity is not found in who we are. Our identity is not found in what we have. Our identity is not found in what what people say about us. But the most important thing that matters is you. So as we go out today in the world, As we go and watch the Steelers play, as we watch our kids, as we change diapers, as we live a life of ordinary, would you invite us to come aside, and would we accept that invitation to hear from you? There are many in this room, Lord, today who are wounded, who are hurt, who are looking for a sign from you, Lord. Would you remind us that you are with us, Lord? That you will remind us that we are your beloved children, that you remind us that you love us and you sing over us. Would you sing over us this week, Lord? Whatever we're carrying, pray that you will carry it for us. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.